Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hi, everyone. I wanted to let you know that enrollment is open for my coaching certification, Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. I have recently revamped the entire certification, and this new course will truly change the game in the pre- and postnatal industry, fitness industry, and beyond. I would love to have you join our team of coaches all over the world who are serving their local and online communities. We believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and we need coaches, practitioners, and athletes who can help support this movement and effort. Hey everyone, I'm here with Laura Ligos, and we're going to be talking about nutrition during pregnancy and postpartum and what we as coaches and practitioners can encourage our clients like to do, to be aware of, and how we can just be really supportive of their process. Because as we all know, nutrition can be something that is very overcomplicated. And we see and hear a lot of different things that happen within the pregnant and postpartum population. So Laura, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, all of that. I'm a registered dietitian, have been so for over 10 years now, and eventually have niched down to mostly a a female population, a lot of women in different seasons of life, all the way from those who are, you know, newer to their menstrual cycle, all the way to having finished it um, in menopause. And I do have a special place in my heart for those who are pregnant and postpartum. Not only have I done a lot of um, my own education in there, but I've also been through it. Um, so I can relate to how hard of a season of life it can be, both trying to conceive, being pregnant and postpartum. Um, and I feel like I, I'm known as the sassy dietitian and I've got that nickname because um, I'm kind of like take a no BS approach, which I feel like is very relatable to you and your brand as well. Um, and so... Um, it's just kind of stuck with me over the years. And I just feel like, you know, my line that I always tell tell people is it really depends. Like a lot of people want there to be black and white thinking and nutrition, and it's just not the case. Um, there's a lot of general advice that we can give to people. Um, but when it comes down to it, it can be incredibly individualized based on someone's history, based on their current needs and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like pregnancy can oftentimes be this significant change in like sort of bringing out the things that maybe were serving us before and no longer serving us now or some of our bad habits, some of our eating tendencies that are maybe not supportive of our future selves and of our baby. All of these things are exposed during pregnancy, especially when working with female athletes who maybe kind of live at a deficit or carry a really low body fat percentage or maybe are hyper aware of their body image, their aesthetics and all of that. And then pregnancy, boom, exposes everything. Can you tell me about your experience working with people like that? Yeah, I also feel like women especially have a lot of focus on their body to begin with. I mean, most of us 
grew up in a world where there was the Victoria's Secret model, you know, fashion show, and we were always looking to models and their thinness and their body types. Um, so we have a lot of that come into play. And then when women get pregnant, their body is like becomes a spectacle. And so, you know, people are always asking them like how far along, oh, you must have twins or you look so big or you look so small. There's like at this added pressure that was already there and then it's amplified. So it's no wonder that a lot of women struggle because their body has always been like on a uh, a podium. People are always looking at it. Whereas most men, right? Men get the dad bod. They get to live with the dad bod. People are like, oh, you must have kids. Like, like how did they get that? And we did it. Um, so I see that a lot. There's a lot of body image issues that come up. Um, and it's also not surprising because when you become pregnant, you're one of the first things that you do when you go, well, when you go to any doctor's office, you always get weighed first, right? But when you're pregnant, it becomes even more um, front and center. You're getting weighed often, monthly, and then biweekly, and then weekly. Um, and so for a lot of women, it's scary because they've always been taught gaining weight or being in a bigger body wasn't safe and wasn't um, appropriate. And so a lot comes up for that. And then it just becomes, you know, confusing from there of how do I feed myself and um, my baby, but also how do I protect my body image and, um, you know, preserve what I've worked so hard for what I think I'm supposed to, you know, look like. Oh, God, there's so much there. And I think it is that hyper focus on weight and being afraid of gaining too much weight or um, that comparison trap to well, she's also 26 weeks pregnant but looks like this. And am I too big? Am I too small? And so much of that comparison, that's why like coaches, we got to be so aware of that kind of thinking, whether they're actually vocalizing it or not. A lot of people, even when I feel like even those of us who have done a lot of the work, it still exposes all of those insecurities and vulnerabilities that we have around body image, maybe like a history of eating disorders or eating disorder tendencies. It just exposes all those vulnerabilities. Totally. And it, it is scary for your body to change. It's scary no matter what season you're in. But now this one, I think for a lot of people there, this also feels out of control, right? You know, because the body's going to change whether you do anything about it or not. And the body is really smart. Um, and I think a lot of women have been taught to distrust their body and to not listen to their body. And so that's something I work in my practice like so, so much. This was not, this was an evolving thing. And over the past five years, it's probably the biggest thing we work on is listening to our body and trusting our body. There's a lot of wisdom in our body. And if we're constantly listening to everybody outside our body, they've never been inside. They've never been a part of who we are. Um, and so that's something we work on too, is listening to your body. Instead of looking at the scale and saying, oh, well, I gained five pounds. I'm a terrible person. How do you feel? Because the weight, your weight is just your relationship to gravity. So we really talk about how are you feeling? No one else is in your body. So I don't know how you feel. How's your energy? How's your stamina? I don't know. How hungry are you? Like there's so many different things that we can look at to garner how you're doing from a health perspective that has absolutely nothing to do with your body size or weight. Right. Absolutely. And I want to kind of play off one of the things you said, because there's a lot of people who experience like aversions or they have like really significant cravings during pregnancy. Um, especially like in the first trimester, can you shed some light on that and maybe what's happening there and how to honor both of those uh, ends of the spectrum? Yeah. I, I, in the first trimester, I see a lot of shame and guilt from people because of what you're saying. There's cravings and there's aversions. And so especially now that we have social media, there's a lot of benefit that comes from that, but there's also a lot of pressure to fit, you know, the certain mold. And so I think a lot of people feel guilt and shame when I've only, I've only eaten a bagel today and I'm supposed to be eating a lot of protein and a lot of fruits and vegetables. And I literally can only stomach bagels. Right. And 
you know, I like to tell people, but well, hold up, like you, you got a bagel in you, like you got some nourishment in you. There's nothing, you know, bagel has actually some protein in it and some carbs in it. There, there's actually nutrients found within that item. And so we work a lot of, of saying, first off, like this is a, a very short season of life. It feels incredibly long when you're in it. It feels so, so, so hard. Um, but it's also only for most women, not all women, some women, unfortunately, we see it their entire pregnancy, but most women were looking at 12 weeks, maybe 14 weeks of feeling this way. So it's a really short period of time. Um, and so we work on just making sure we work on the principles. So hydration is a big one. You know, a lot of women aren't drinking enough because they, they don't want it. So we work on how can we get you hydrated? What's something that you will drink? Can we put electrolytes in there? Can we put a little bit of juice in there? Can we put um, a smoothie? Can we, you know, use milk? Like, is there something that you actually are gravitating towards as far as hydration goes? Because when we're dehydrated, we can also increase risk of nausea. And so the more nauseous we feel, the less likely we are to want to eat anything. The other side of it is working on like blood sugar control, because a lot of times that nausea is coming from an imbalanced blood sugar. And that happens because there's so much changing in your body. Your body is going through incredible hormonal changes. Um, and not to mention, you're literally growing an organ, you're growing a placenta, and you're growing a human and tiny little organs and hands and feet and all of that. So there's so much going on that your body is also trying to slow you down. It's trying to say like, Hello, we need some, we need some food, we need some sleep, and we need you to slow down because we're ramping up. And so I would say making sure that we're eating like every one to two hours, especially for those who are incredibly nauseous can be helpful, even if it's just a piece of cheese or a bagel or something that tastes good. Something is better than nothing in this scenario. Um, and so those are like the two major things, hydration and blood sugar balance in order to support that. And then on the same token, like taking out the shame and the judgment. There's no winning the first trimester. There's no perfect pregnancy. There's no like, oh, here you get a gold star because you ate all your fruits and vegetables. I can tell you, I know people who are pretty well known in the nutrition space and they are, you know, probably what people would say, like, have the perfect diet. I use quotations, so there's no such thing. Um, and even they were eating bagels and crackers and cookies and whatever they could stomach in the first trimester. So it's, I think there's a lot of intuition in your body to say, I just need quick carbs. I need quick food. And I need you to not judge me. I need you to literally put any food in me that we can tolerate within reason. Right. Yeah. I remember like I had back during my first pregnancy, I was like very much of like the paleo life prior to getting pregnant. And then when I got pregnant with Cade, I just like wanted cereal. Like I wanted cereal so freaking bad that I, I remember like pulling over going into the grocery store and like buying cereal and going home and like binging it. And I was like, what the hell was that? Like, I felt it was like, it was get out of body experience, but I think it was like such a history of like really restricting certain foods. And then pregnancy was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> you're going to crave all of these things. And there was just like really intense craving. So what's happening with that? So for that happens a lot. And so I see a lot of women craving carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And so carbs are energy and carbohydrates hydrate you. So they're literally trying to pull nutrients into the cell um, through the easiest way possible. And carbohydrates are the easiest food to digest and they are the quickest form of energy. And so a lot of times we will see some form of carbohydrate craving and it comes in different forms. Like some people might want my chocolate, some want ice cream, some want cereals. I wanted bagels. I keep going back to that. Like, you know, there's different things that we want. And usually I see from a carbohydrate perspective. Um, it's also interesting too, because a lot of people will say, well, I don't want like vegetables that they sound gross. And if you look from like a food safety perspective, 
vegetables have a higher risk of foodborne illness than a lot of other foods. And so I almost wonder if it's the body's like intuitive wisdom to be like, we we need to protect our body right now. Like vegetables aren't it. They're going to be much harder to digest. And there's a higher risk that they're contaminated with something that we don't want. Um, so certainly that's a lot, very anecdotal in our world. But I also think that once again, the body knows best. And so usually we're seeing carbohydrate cravings. And we'll also see that more if blood sugar is a little bit dysregulated. And I don't say blood sugar from a sense of like, oh, they definitely have gestational diabetes. I think people immediately jump there. But all of us have blood sugar. All of us need sugar in our blood to function. But when we're pregnant, we have higher needs and we burn through them quicker. And so a lot of times we'll just see low blood sugars. And so when we have low blood sugar, our body's first response is to eat something if we're awake. If not, we use cortisol um, as a way to get it. And so carbohydrates are the quickest way to bump your blood sugar back up. And I think that's also the body's way of being like, come on, we need some energy to actually do what we're doing. And so eating every one to two hours, especially in the first trimester can be really helpful for women because it can keep that blood sugar steady and reduce the amount of drops um, where we feel nauseous, we feel tired, we feel, you know, just not ourselves. Um, So that's usually what we're seeing. Absolutely. And I find that with some of the athletes I've worked with, maybe they're weight sport athletes, uh, or they just have a very low body fat. It's like when they get pregnant, a lot of times you see that pendulum swings to the farther side. And then there's almost like rapid weight gain in that first trimester or like up until like 20 weeks, it's just rapid weight gain. Is that something that you see with some of your clients? So I feel like weight is, is a really hard subject to talk about in pregnancy. I don't have a problem talking about it, but I think it's hard because there are standards, right? And so everyone's looking at the charts being like, oh, well, I have to gain 25 to 35 pounds or whatever based on my starting weight. And they're finding that like, I think it's an absurd amount of percentage of people gain outside of those recommended numbers, which to me then signals that those numbers aren't actually accurate. <laughs> they're not actually doing us a service. And yeah, if you're not eating or if you're not feeding your body enough prior to pregnancy, your body doesn't have enough stores to provide uh, enough nutrients. And you're not, I believe you're more in an anabolic state in your first trimester. So more building. So your body wants to build stores so that it can hand over the nutrients and you become more a catabolic state in your second to third trimester and catabolic means breaking down. Um, And so because of that, we have to build stores in order to be able to hand over stores. And so if you don't have enough going in, that's the body saying like, hey, we're going to hold on to this so that we can give enough nutrients to the baby. Um, and so, yes, I see that often. And I just see a wide spectrum. And so I usually instead turn to the, the patient and think, what else could we look at? How is their energy? How are they feeling? How is baby measuring? How's their blood sugar? How's their blood pressure? Like we have to look at the whole thing too and say, how is this person doing? And then we also have to be careful of how we're talking to that patient too, because, or client, I say patient from the many years in clinical work, but, um, I think there's so much pressure on women, right? Like we expect someone to say something about our body, which I think is so sad because, I wish that weren't the case. I wish people would just, you know, say, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, I love your smile today, or I love that you made me laugh. Like if we could say those things. And I think as trainers, we have the opportunity to also be that voice for them instead of the first thing we say, be like, oh, wow, you really popped today. Or you look like you're carrying twins or are you due tomorrow? Like, and I know I'm not saying trainers do that, but women are constantly hearing that. So then when they gain 10 pounds in the first trimester, and they're only supposed to quote unquote, gain 25 pounds, they panic. And they they're getting all these comments. And 
really, it's just every woman is different. And the body, I mean, I know women who have gained 50 pounds yeah, and I know women who have, like, yeah, and it, <laughs> it wasn't like crazy, but yeah, we're, I see that all the time with female athletes and it's yeah. not, they're gaining 40, 50, 60 pounds and they're like, they're healthy. They're not doing yes. anything wild. Um, it's just, that's what their body needed to do. And it's yeah. crazy that we still have this, like you said, like this limited range that is, um, that's like kind of pushed on people. It's just really inaccurate. It really is. And we're not looking, I think we don't end up looking at the entire being. We don't look at that entire woman and saying, what's her history? What's her trauma? What's what's everything else that's going on? Um, and is this actually supportive of a healthy pregnancy? Because there's certainly, I think you could look at weight and you could look at someone who gains 50 pounds and it could be a healthy or an unhealthy pregnancy. Same with someone who gains 10 pounds, same exact way. So we can't just look at weight. And as I always say, weight is one metric of health. It's not the metric of health. And same goes for pregnancy. It's just one metric that we're tracking. Right. And like my sister was recently pregnant and like, I remember her doctor had told her like, I'm just concerned you're gaining too much weight. I'm like, my sister is like a lean CrossFitter, very diligent human, like very rigid in her, her, she's just like athlete brain. Right. Like you cannot tell her that she's gaining too much weight. It's insanity. And I was so mad, but then it, that planted a seed in her head where she was like, I need to really monitor what I'm consuming. And I'm like, that's just not right. I hate that this is still a narrative and that it's fueling so many other issues for women, whether they're an athlete or not, just that fear of gaining too much weight Oh, I don't know. That messaging is just really hard. I think what's hard too, and I see this both in the pregnant space and outside of it, is a lot of, I don't want to just hate on doctors, but unfortunately it's usually the provider. They're leading with the weight conversation and saying you're gaining too much weight, but they're never asking what the client is already doing. Right. And so had they actually like asked your sister what they were doing, they'd be like, okay, well then this is probably just what your body needs. Right. And so I think that's, that's so what we simple. need to lead with. It's, it's so, so simple. simple. It's so simple. It's just like, but what's hard is that a lot of people don't, I mean, a lot of providers, especially don't have the background in it. Yeah. They have the background of looking at numbers and saying, okay, well, your BMI falls in this range. And I've been told that I have to not only chart this, but tell you to lose weight as opposed to let's just zoom out and look at the the person in front of me and say, okay, what are you currently doing for nutrition? What are you currently doing for movement? What are you doing? How's your sleep? How's your stress? How's all that going? And then we probably don't even need to address weight at that point for a lot of people, especially I would say we probably have a, diff, a, a very similar like um, target market that we like facilitate. Um, so certainly this doesn't um, apply to everybody in the world, but I think for who we're servicing, I think a lot of them, if people just ask them what they were doing, we could get ahead of the weight conversation, which then we know when the weight conversation happens, it leads to more disordered eating and more body dysmorphia. And so then there's a lot of issues that come from that. Oh my gosh. So much there. Yeah. In this course we have, in the, the coach course, we have like a communication framework so that when our clients come to us and either repeat what they've been told or ask us about something they saw on social media, or their doctor said, don't lift over 20 pounds, we're able to kind of guide them through a like, okay. And like, let's kind of talk this out and inquire and be really curious and not judgmental. And that way they're able to kind of come to their own epiphany of what's actually right for their body. Um, because 
this space is so heavy with a lot of dogmatic opinions, outdated advice, and um, it's just really easy for them to spiral, especially this athletic population where athlete brain is very strong or fearful brain is really strong. And either way, we can't be planting seeds that are going to fuel that. We have to like help them kind of figure that out on their own with some of this like emotionally intelligent conversation. Yeah. We talk a lot about like embodiment of like being in your body and listening to your body, because just like you said, like, I mean, there's so much external inputs out there and a lot of them have negative connotations and judgmental undertones. And so it's really, it becomes really hard then to listen to your body when you're constantly being told no, or you're too big, or you're gaining too much weight, or you, sh- you shouldn't lift 20 pounds, like all those different things. It's like, we, we suddenly forget who we are. This is generalizing, but most people would never tell a man that. But we would tell a woman that. And so that's why women, I mean, they've literally, since the day they've been born, before they were born, have been taught not to trust themselves. Um, And so definitely hate that and working to uh, get ahead of that for a lot of my clients. Yeah, absolutely. Changing the narrative around that for sure. So yeah, we touched on a lot here. What are your thoughts on uh, people who are used to tracking their macros through pregnancy? So I think with anything, it depends. I think that what I've seen for those who like tracking macros and it's not a disordered behavior, it's not obsessive, is that usually it falls by the wayside in the first trimester. And I think for most people, it's for the best. One, it teaches to let go of some control, right? Because you're going to have to learn that the second the baby comes. (laughs) Um, So it's a good lesson in letting go of some control. It's also just a way to kind of listen to your body and say, like, I'll just do the best I can right now. I think it's a great tool for those who tend to undereat. Um, I think it can be really helpful to make sure that they're eating enough. It can also be a nice like um, confidence boost too. Um, Cause I think some people just, you know, especially if they are gaining weight and it feels uncomfortable, it can be a nice way to make sure that, Hey, I am eating enough for my body. And if it chooses, if it needs to gain weight, that's what it needs to do right now. Um, however, if it feels like it's um, obsessive and you feel like, you know, I'm just trying to do this so I don't gain too much weight. It might be time to have someone step back from it and just look at the big picture. Like, am I eating enough to have enough energy to work out, right? Like coming into the gym and being able to complete my workout. Am I hydrating enough? Am I getting protein at every meal? Am I getting some color on my plate? I think that sometimes can be a nice shift to say, I'm still looking at things. I'm still being conscious and, um, prioritizing my my food and my nutrition, but I'm not trying to control every last bit of it because pregnancy is a really different time. It's a really, uh, so much is changing that sometimes like the macros don't even encompass all that we actually need to be focusing on. Right. And for those that are really used to tracking macros and be either being at maintenance or at a deficit, are they, for that kind of brain, are we encouraging them like, okay, stay at like your maintenance calories or are we considering to stay at like more of a bump? What, even if it's just that like, mental calculation? How do you go about having that conversation? Your body needs more energy when you're building a baby. (laughs) That's just plain and simple. The calorie ranges really just depend. Um, Technically, you don't need any more in your first trimester than you would need at maintenance for most people. However, if you were in a deficit prior to getting pregnant, you might need a little bit extra because your body is like, hey, I we've been in a deficit, I need some more supplies. Um, And then usually we're looking to add three to 500 calories in the second trimester and beyond. Um, And so we should be at maintenance plus for the 
for you know 12, week 12 to week 40 plus however long you go um and so it will depend on the person what i often find too is that appetite ebbs and flows throughout pregnancy too um you have to think that there's now like added pressure that's going not only do you have to worry about that from a fitness perspective but also from an internal organ perspective right it's pressing on your bladder you have to pee more pressing on your intestines it makes it hard for things to flow through your body a little bit better um that's where movement can actually really come into play is to help things um um, so we often also also have to look at how we're eating. So not just the total quantity, but also you might be used to three meals and two small snacks. You might actually need six plus meals to be able to get that amount of food in. Um, so yeah, all that to say maintenance plus from start of pregnancy all the way to the finish. And the calorie ranges really just depend on the person. I appreciate you touching on that because I know there's a lot of brains that are listening to this course or listening in that are, uh, you know, kind of used to thinking about foods in those terms and kind of forgetting that, oh yeah, my metabolic rate has changed during pregnancy. It's like doing a lot extra because we're used to just sort of keep doing what we've always done and oh, we'll figure it out. But no, we actually do need to fuel a little bit more. Um, you mentioned pressure and um, just peeing more, digestion. So beyond hydration, are there certain like micronutrients or things that we really need to focus on getting more in pregnancy or can encourage our, our clients to consume more of during pregnancy to help with constipation, to help with overall nutrients for them and the baby. There's so many. So I think it's first important to look at the individual and say, what are they currently doing? So we have to start there and just say, what are you currently doing? I mean, there's certain foods that are really beneficial. Um, and so like eggs are my favorite thing to recommend because they are rich in choline. They're a source of protein. And so there's a lot of good that comes from just eggs alone. Protein in general is really helpful. Um, protein are the building blocks for everything, not only in our body, but baby's body. Um, and protein is also harder to get for a lot of people in pregnancy because we're not really craving it. Um, we're craving more carbs. And so a lot of times we can help people um, encourage them to get protein at every meal. This might be a time when they focus more on things like using Greek yogurt or using dairy products or even using some protein powders just to help um, when we don't feel like eating a very large meal. Um, and then certainly to help with digestion, healthy fats and, and fiber um, both help with moving things along. Um, chia seeds are a great thing to add because they're small, right? So they're not taking up a lot of bulk when we feel like we're too, you know, full and feel like there's too much pressure. And they also help because they're soluble. They help to pull things through the digestive system appropriately. Having enough healthy fat, so things like nuts and seeds and avocados and all of that, but also fatty fish. I think a lot of people, especially women, veer away from fish. One, it could be an aversion, right? Sometimes fish doesn't smell great, especially in the first trimester. Um, but two, it's also a great source of omega-3s and DHA, which help with fetal brain development. Um, and so that can be helpful not only from a dig digestive perspective, but also from a fetal development perspective. And I think a lot of women are like fearful of fish because they've also been told that there's too much mercury. Um, but most of us won't consume enough for the mercury to come into play. And certainly we can also look at the types of fish. There's a whole database. I forget the, um, I can send it to you, but there's a whole database that you can look up and you can look at the different fish and how high they are in mercury. So you can also talk about how to incorporate things like salmon and mackerel and different fish into their diet if they're able to. And then from a digestive perspective, we also, I was just telling a client this this morning, actually, we also can talk to them about like why it's happening. Um, and so your body actually slows digestion down when you're pregnant because it wants to take more nutrients from your food. So it's actually normal to be a little bit 
slower in motility, it doesn't mean that digestion should stop. It doesn't mean we should be constipated to the point of uncomfortableness. So hydration, electrolytes, fiber, fat, all of that can help things through. But then as a fitness professional, also just getting them into proper positioning, um, using a squatty potty and also encouraging movement throughout the day can be helpful because I'm always trying to tell my clients, I'm like, hey, I know you're tired, but we're doing all the food stuff right. We need to also move our body and get into a proper positioning because I can give you all the food in the world. But if your digestion is cramped, if it's constantly like bent over all day and kind of compact, then it's not able to move. It doesn't have the space. So having them actually open up and using elevated a stool or something to elevate their feet can be helpful too. So Absolutely. like that was all over the place, but... No, that I mean, it's super helpful because we know that like constipation and pelvic health symptoms go hand in hand and... It is absolutely something that we need to be cognizant of um, really proactively in pregnancy. It's if there's constipation symptoms, trying to really get those under control prior to delivery, prior to then being postpartum, where now there's a whole other host of considerations with pelvic health to uh, manage. But any history of constipation or current constipation during pregnancy is something that I'm always like, let's figure out what's going on. Let's figure out a way we could do that just so that we're helping to mitigate pelvic health symptoms um, that are either being experienced during pregnancy or maybe now more prone to postpartum. I love that. I think what's what's frustrating is that from like a conventional medicine perspective, we don't talk about normal digestion for, you know, many doctors will say, oh, as long as you're going to the bathroom, you know, every three days, you're fine. I No, it's every once to three times a day is what is considered normal. And so same should go in pregnancy. It might be a little slower. So if you were someone who tended for a looser two uh, two to three times a day, it might be more one to two. But if you're not going every day, we need to address that. And so that's where hydration can come into play, especially if you are active, making sure you're adding in 16 ounces for every hour that you're exercising. I usually like to see 100 ounces of water a day, which is a lot for a lot of women who aren't used to drinking that much. Um, and so that's something a, a trainer can encourage as well and just be like, hey, like, are we actually hydrating? I also really like to see electrolytes because we burn through sodium, potassium, magnesium pretty quickly when we're not pregnant and active. Um, so now when you're pregnant and active, you need even more of that. So easy ways are like liquid IV, element, all those powders, because it's quick, it's easy, you can add it to their water. Um, we don't have to think about it. Um, but that can be helpful too. Um, because there's that- so much fear around the sodium though. Oh, when- so can you touch on that? I was like, I don't know, like sort of related to our conversation, but I feel like it's very complimentary because pregnant clients are like, I don't want to feel even more swollen because of the sodium and postpartum is, oh no, now my scale is going to be up because I have a lot of sodium in me. But like, can you just, I don't know, address that a bit? (laughs) Sodium is incredibly important for so many different reasons. um, And it can help actually with digestion. And so I think where the fear came from sodium was that we ended up in the like nineties and two thousands having more processed food in our diet. So more like frozen meals and, you know, cause women were in the workplace. So we women didn't have a lot of time to be at home cooking meals. And certainly we can talk about, we, we could talk about why that's like an, an issue. So many reasons, but that's really where it came from, right? So our, our food quality went down and sodium went up because we had to preserve the food accordingly, right? That's how we allow it to be shelf stable for an incredibly long period of time. But sodium is not bad. And when we did that, we also took out a lot of potassium and potassium comes in fruits and vegetables. Um, And so most of us stop eating a lot of fruits and vegetables as well. And we want a balance of the two. I think we want like a three to one or four to one ratio of potassium to sodium. And most people are nowhere close. So we want to look at that and say, okay, as long as we are getting enough potassium, 
it should balance out that sodium. And so if you are worried about the amount of sodium, which you do need, and when you're sweating it out, peeing it out, you know, pooping it out, like you're, you're getting rid of it all the time. We want to make sure that we're replacing it and we're also replacing potassium. Um, so fruits and vegetables are the best way to get it. Um, for some women, it's harder. So you can use things like coconut water or these electrolyte replacements. Um, and so it's finding that balance. But sodium is not the devil. Like there's been, I mean, we had fats that were demonized, carbs, now sodium's being demonized. Um, but if you're an active female, um, you need probably extra extra sodium. If you're sweating, like you're getting rid of so much of it. And that actually can then lead to more puffiness and more bloating and actually bringing more sodium and potassium into the cell allows um, your body to be hydrated appropriately internally as opposed to externally. Yeah. And it's so crazy because I know I've had like clients who are like, well, I took like an, an element or like it's a liquid IV and, you know, I put that into my fitness pal and it just skyrocketed my sodium. And they're like, that's okay. <laughs> Honestly, the, the recommendations are too low for a healthy individual. I think the recommendations is like 20, is it 2,300 milligrams, something like that. And I think we could do like three to 4,000 milligrams a day and be completely fine, if not healthier, because our body needs um, that. And we've salt been around forever. We've used salt in cooking forever. And it's, and here's the thing. I remember I used to work in the hospital and, um, doctors would put the patients on low sodium diets and I would go to my client's or patient's room and they're like, Oh, I can't have any sodium. And I was, and they had milk on their tray, which there's sodium and dairy. They had fruits and vegetables on their tray. There's naturally occurring sodium and all of that. And I was like, it's not no sodium. And I had to explain, they're like, well, I can't eat anything. And I was like, no, no, no. Like we can eat sodium. And for those who need to restrict sodium, it it's usually because um, we have chronic kidney disease or chronic heart disease um, or heart failure. And so for those, we do have to be a little bit more protective of how much we're eating. But for a pregnant woman who is in generally good health, we probably need more sodium potassium than we even realize. And I would recommend that women do at least one of those packets a day, if not two, depending on activity level and how much they're sweating and, and et cetera. And I know we're going to get to this, but like, especially with breastfeeding as well for like the hydration. Needs. Yes. The whole other, a whole other component of that. But basically the bottom line is hydration is so key for constipation, for our body getting all the micronutrients that it needs and supplementing as needed in order to be as hydrated as possible. Yeah. I know that's a, a whole other, uh, yeah, whole other side conversation. What about supplements during pregnancy from, uh, from whey protein to creatine to fish oil. And like, let's just kind of err on the side of the basic supplements that people might be used to taking any contraindications to that from your perspective. Nope. So uh, honestly, I tell women it's based on quality. I also think it's not the best time to start it. Like if you've never done creatine, it might not be the first time to start it. Um, but there's a lot of benefit to female um, health with creatine, as you probably know, and it can help both with um, physical health, but also cognitive health. Um, and so that can be helpful in pregnancy and postpartum, especially postpartum, because we know that um, mental health is usually not the best um, in the short term, but also long term postpartum. Whey protein is fine. Um, certainly we look to quality. I like to look for a whey protein that's third party tested. Um, that way we know that it's low in any heavy, heavy metals or contaminants. We also know when we do third party testing that we're getting what we're paying for. So that's always important. Um, fish oil really will just depend. So we're usually looking for a DHA supplement to help with fetal brain development. But if the 
the client is eating fish twice a week and they know they can and they like to do it, then they might be okay um, not having an additional supplement. Sometimes swallowing pills is like horrendous in pregnancy. So the more we can get through food, the better. Um, But it's also one of those ones where maybe they don't take it every day. They just take it on the weeks that they're not eating a lot of um, fish. Um, And then certainly an overall prenatal um, is important as well. Um, A lot of women struggle, might struggle with this in the first trimester. So also asking them if they want to try, you know, a lot of them you can actually open up and put into a smoothie. Um, So a lot of women don't know that. And so you can check with the provide the, um, the company and the brand, and they'll usually tell you if you can do that. Um, so a lot of times I'll have women either open up the capsule or um, some of the brands now like needed have an actual powder that they're selling, um, which I think is really great because it's sometimes like another thing to add to the nausea, <laughs> which is not great. Um, and we really like to see a prenatal. Prenatal is just like an insurance policy, right? We want to be encouraging that women are eating enough to support a healthy pregnancy. You know, women and children were being pregnant and being born long before prenatals came to be. So we certainly can get enough through a diet, but it's nice to just have an insurance policy, making sure that we're covering our bases in areas that we might not be able, not, not even know that we're not touching on. I will say, and this might be a little bit more like down my scope, but a lot of women will take supplements with iron in it and then complain of constipation. Most women don't need iron in their prenatal, especially if they're eating animal protein. Um, so that's something too, if they're complaining of like pelvic floor issues and constipation, you might want to ask if there's iron in their supplement um, and then have them talk to their doctor about maybe they don't need it. And women are usually getting their blood tested at least once a trimester. So we can look at things like hemoglobin and iron and kind of tell if they need it or not. I would say 90% of the time they don't need it. Um, and so that's something I usually pull out because it can increase nausea and increase constipation, which is not great. So it's really good information to have as another thing to look at from a more holistic perspective. So I'm glad that you brought that up. So when it comes to our postpartum clients or postpartum athletes, um, they have the baby, they're now in a healing season, they're in a sometimes survival mode season of acclimating to nursing, healing their body, trying to just adjust to life with a newborn. What are some nutritional considerations that can assist with the postpartum uh, healing timeline? So let's just focus on um, like early postpartum right now, maybe those first six to eight weeks. What are some things that we can encourage our athletes to do during that timeline? Well, there energy needs are just as much as their third trimester, if not more, especially if they're nursing, pumping, however they're, if they are feeding their baby. Um, And so that's important to remember that their calorie needs actually stay elevated, if not increased. Um, And I think that one, there's that fear. So the women who maybe had some disordered eating or some body dysmorphia going into it might be fearful to eat that much because they're no longer growing a baby, but you can encourage them, especially in the fourth trimester, you're still growing a baby, right? It's just your baby basically can't fit inside you anymore after the third trimester. So they have to live outside of you. Um, and you're still, you're still like their home in that fourth trimester. You're still feeding them, nourishing them. You're their sole source if you're exclusively um, nursing. So we have to encourage eating enough. And that's also a really hard time to eat enough. So also having them ask for help and just say, making sure that if they didn't or weren't able to prep a lot of food prior to the fourth trimester is doing their best to maybe ask for help. And I would say breakfast is the biggest one. Most people get help with dinner. Um, Either their partner is able to help or people are bringing dinner for them. But a lot of times we see breakfast and lunch fall by the wayside because they're, they tend to be on their own, right? We don't have a lot of support in the U S for, and I don't know if this goes to other countries as well, but we don't have a lot of support for the woman postpartum. 
So finding ways to get enough breakfast food in can be really helpful, a helpful way to just start the day of like, hey, make sure you wake up and eat something. You're waking up, your baby's waking up and they're eating something. You should be doing the same thing. Um, so that can be really helpful. Protein is still important here. Um, you know, eating enough um fruits, vegetables, all of that can be helpful as well. Hydration is huge. Um, for those who have been in this scenario, you realize that your thirst increases like exponentially when you're nursing, because now not only are you feeding this tiny human, but you're also producing milk. Um, and so they're not only just feeding through you, they're literally, you're producing an extra um, source of nutrition. And so you are losing fluid in many different avenues, especially in the first couple of weeks. Um, and so hydration is key. And I highly recommend going back to that electrolyte talk, doing at least one packet, if not more a day of something like liquid IV or element or whatever you can, um, you know, there's so many different brands out there, whatever the person likes can be really helpful to maintain hydration and also help with milk supply. And then I think those are the major ones that I would think about postpartum. Like this is not a time for a deficit. Like, and and that's so hard. That's so hard for people to wrap their head around. They're like, but I want to like start to lose weight. I don't want to eat too much. And it's like, and if you're not like other things will suffer, your healing will suffer. Your nursing will suffer. Other things will suffer if you are not fueling your body, but it is so hard to have these conversations with athletes, at least that I've worked with from all levels, from like my Olympians to like my moms that were coming to my like class just a couple days a week. It was still this fear around eating too much postpartum because they wanted to lose the weight. And I just kept saying like, this is not like a promise. This is not the time for a deficit. Like it will, your body will regulate over time through consistent, healthy habits. It doesn't have to be an extreme deficit and it doesn't have to be early on in order to still, I guess, make aesthetic progress to make performance progress, to lose weight. All of that can still happen over time but right now is not the time for a deficit. And that is a very hard thing for people to wrap their heads around because they can't see like the forest through the trees. You know what I mean? (laughs) Of course, you know what I mean. (laughs) And I think that, I mean, that's what's so sad that society has created this external pressure on women to get there. And I think we applaud the women who get back to working out right away, right? We look at the Olympians and the elite athletes who are doing it and we're like, oh my God, they're so amazing. Well, you're equally amazing if you're at home just feeding your baby. And it's not just, I mean, that's a full-time job. And, you know, we look to a lot of more elite athletes too, and we start comparing ourselves to them. It's their job. Like it's their job to, to do that. And I'm not saying right or wrong, but we can't compare ourselves to that, especially if like, that's not where we are in our life. It's not what we're supposed to be getting back to, but I wish society was more protective of the postpartum period. Um, There's other countries like Canada where women get an entire year of maternity leave. And I wish that that was more commonplace because I think if women realize that, oh my God, I could take a whole year. And and honestly, for some women, it takes two and three and more. There's no, there's no timeline that says you have to be back in your body by a certain time. And frankly, you're never going to be in that same body from before because you're, you just created life. You just created a whole new human. How cool is that? You just went through the most like Olympic event that there could possibly be. You are an athlete just for doing that. Um, and so, yes, it's a hundred percent, 110% not a time for a deficit. And if anything that can cause long-term issues, And we'll see issues with thyroid health and adrenal health, maybe not short-term, but long-term from that as well. Um, And so then women come to me 10 plus years postpartum and they're wondering why they can't lose 10 pounds anymore. And I said, well, 
because you spent your whole life at a deficit, your body no longer feels safe. And when it doesn't feel safe, it does not want to lose weight. It wants to protect you. And so it's also having that long-term vision and realizing that I'm not only doing this for now, I'm doing this for 10 years from me now and 20 years from me now so that I can I can continue to keep up with my kids and my friends and my grandkids and all of that. And so I think it's a very short-sighted, but a lot of it's externally, um, there's a lot of external pressure to do that. Um, and your goal fourth trimester, and really that whole first year is to heal you and to nourish your baby. And if you're, if you're unable to, to breastfeed for whatever reason, you still have to heal you. You're there's still like, you th- think about the PT and the uh, stuff that we offer for an ACL repair. There is so much support and so much surrounding that. And then a woman gives birth and they're like, okay, carry on. What? No, you just went through nine plus months of a body change and growing a human. And then, you know, hours upon hours of labor and delivery. And you just pushed out a human out of you, or you it was taken out in an incredibly big surgery. And so, like, why are we not thinking of this as a healing journey of I need to provide my body with more nutrients, not less, to help it heal? So yes, I, I'm with you. The choir, you know, I love it. You know, I agree. Um, and it is, it's perspective that so many of us gain much later on. I know for me, like I was absolutely, even with both kids, like I, my first baby, it was a train wreck um, and postpartum recovery. Second baby, so much healthier, so much better, but still like in a chronically under eating state, especially for my activity level, especially for the healing that was needed. And there's just not a lot of awareness around any of that on um, what our bodies actually need, what our metabolic rate actually requires during certain seasons of our life as training changes, as we're healing from surgery, as we're healing from pregnancy, as we're healing or, or um, breastfeeding, like all these different seasons in our life and not understanding like what was maintenance before isn't, it does not apply anymore. You know, like it's very hard. There's not a lot of education around that. And there's certainly not a lot of self-awareness around that either. Well, we were never taught that way. We were, we were taught to always be smaller, right? I yeah. mean, and so we also have to recognize that. And I think we just, I mean, that's why we're here doing what we're doing, right? We're trying to change the narrative for people of we don't have to take up less space. We don't have to constantly achieve, like try to be smaller. Instead, we need to actually nourish our bodies and take up more space. And that doesn't necessarily just mean a body size, just like take up more space and take up more time and energy for yourself. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a time for deficit at all. And um, if anything, we just have to know that this is a very short season. Once again, like you will come out of it in five, 10 years, you will realize that like, that was a really short time period in my life. And you'll be thankful that you fueled yourself during that time. Absolutely. Definitely things I wish I would have done a little bit differently with different perspective and awareness. So when would be a time then to go into a deficit? How would one of our clients know that they're ready? They maybe want to lose some more body fat. They're starting to have that conversation with us. Um, I think most coaches here, most practitioners really try to stay in the habit-based recommendation world. But for our athletes who are really wanting to get into that deficit, maybe tracking their macros more, just being more cognizant of the data, how can we help guide that conversation? So I think it depends on the person. And I think what we have to start looking at is what does their current situation look like? How is their sleep? If they're still not getting seven consecutive hours of sleep, they're probably not in a place where they can be in a deficit. You know, we know how 
how powerful sleep can be for um, not only muscle repair, but blood sugar balance and stress management and all of that. I really don't think many women should be in a deficit if they're not sleeping through the night. So that's step one. You can just ask like, I how really are you sleeping? I love that you said that because that is something that gets overlooked constantly, constantly. Yeah. I mean, I think I tell all my women all the time. I'm like, if you think you're going to lose weight, but you're sleeping six hours a night, like we got, we got, you got another thing coming for you. Like if you do, if you are going to be in a deficit and you're not sleeping, like this might short-term, you might lose weight, but long-term we're putting stress on your thyroid and your adrenals and a lot of other things. And it's not, it's not good for sustainable fat loss or weight loss. So that's step one, you know, just making sure like, Hey, how are you sleeping? How is your sleep? Um, and a lot of times we will see if women aren't eating enough, they usually won't be sleeping through the night, even if their baby is. So we then have to start talking about how long have you been at maintenance? So I usually like to see eight to 12 weeks of maintenance earned before we go into a deficit, because if you can't prove to me that you can't prove to me, that doesn't really matter. You can't prove to your body that it's safe, then it's not going to be happy when you just drop into a deficit. So usually I like to see that they're sleeping, like to see that, you know, they have the capacity to even track, right? Because if tracking becomes another stressor on top of they're looking at their baby's sleep and what their baby's eating and all the other things that come with motherhood, um, maybe tracking is not right for you. So can we earn some trust in the process and our body before we dive into a deficit? And if we can do that, then likely they're in a good headspace. Their body starts to feel safe and taken care of. Things just kind of start connecting, then we can say, okay, if you're able to do that, then likely we can start venturing into a deficit, all else, all other things considered as well. Um, so sleep, stress, maintenance, and then we can talk about a deficit and there should always be a time limit with a deficit. There should never just be this like open-ended, we'll just keep losing weight forever and ever um, because the body does not feel safe when we do that. So usually then we do an equal, equally timed deficit. So eight to 12 weeks of a deficit, depending on how they end up feeling. This will also be dependent if the woman is still nursing um, and she really wants to keep that up. We also have to talk about that and say, when you go into a deficit, your body may may no longer supply your baby with the needs that it has. So we also have to talk about that. Obviously, this likely won't be happening in that six months when you're exclusively nursing because you're definitely not sleeping through the night. Um, so this is likely talking about six plus months postpartum. And I would I would venture to guess most women aren't ready for a deficit until one plus years postpartum. Yep. I am in a hundred percent agreement with you there. And I what I try to do instead of you know giving any kind of like calorie recommendations or even talking to them about deficits or maintenance, it's just like what are your habits like? Tell me about your hydration. Tell me about your protein. Tell me, are you actually eating carbs? Like you do need to eat a lot of carbs right now. And just really focusing on that, like overarching, well-rounded nutrition, because there might be seasons where you can be hyper aware of your nutrition, where you can be tracking, you can do all those things. But I feel like there's just so much happening during pregnancy and postpartum, extra stressors of life, this huge transition, giving yourself the freedom to step away from some of that data about your body is a key like mental health consideration because when we're so hyper-focused on the metrics and the data, that's a control thing and control can be fine. I love control. You know, <laughs> like I very much thrive off of that, but there are certain seasons where some of that has to be let go of and then tuning into our bodies. Like you've been saying this whole time, like this is a season to give yourself that freedom. This is a season for freedom. That's not a season for being super meticulous because like you said, there eventually, like it's all about playing the long game because you're not going to be in that season forever. 
promise. You know, we've both been through it. Like, you will not be in that season forever. There will be a time where you can be maybe a little bit more aware. You can have a little bit more control. You can actually pay attention to these things. But when you are in unique seasons of growing, of healing, of recovering, of fueling, we don't need to add stress to an already stressful season. Definitely. And yes, I mean, it's a great season to just listen to your body and see what it's saying. You know, I think a lot of women, that actually means because so yeah. many don't know. <laughs> right. I think a lot of women don't even know what it feels to be hungry or satisfied because they've never really tuned into it. They've either had that, you know, data where they just say, okay, I know I need this amount of calories. This is what I need, whether I'm hungry or not, or they just don't even have just never felt what hunger and satiety is. And so it's a great season for that as well. Love it. Yeah. That self-awareness is a gift and it's a gift that will really like fuel their athleticism throughout their lifetime. If you can gain, I always say like, what I love about pregnancy and postpartum is not actually pregnancy and postpartum. It's the fact that this is a catalyst season for this lifetime of athleticism. It's like, this is where you like really have to tune into your own stuff, really have a good like conversation and self-awareness around what was serving me before. Is it serving me now? What do I need to do differently? Not just for me anymore, but also for this baby and how I want my quality of life to be during this season and long-term. And when you can look at it from that perspective, that changes everything. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I know we could both uh, could both go off on these uh, sermons any given yes, time. Yes. <laughs> um, as far as the micronutrients for fueling postpartum recovery, breastfeeding, things like that, is it pretty similar to pregnancy? Pretty similar. Yep. Um, there is kind of more of a discussion on like vitamin D and what the needs are there. They're usually elevated if you're exclusively breastfeeding. Um, I think it's like up to 6,400 IUs, which is a lot for most people. Um, so ideally you're still taking a prenatal if you're nursing. Um, but I also have my clients who aren't nursing continue to take a prenatal too, because you could use the extra nu- nutrients. I think it's like upwards of 30% of your minerals are given to your baby in that third trimester. So you're literally just like offloading your nutrients to them. Um, and so it doesn't matter if you're, if you were fully charged before giving it to them, you're still 30% down, but most women aren't fully charged because a lot of women go into pregnancy at kind of a deficit, then we're really kind of running on empty. And so making sure we're refueling the tank through eating enough, having enough protein, um, getting enough fruits and vegetables and a prenatal can be really helpful in that um, season. That's really helpful to know. Is there any piece of advice you have for coaches that are working with pregnant and postpartum clients? Hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. Um, I would say, you know, start just asking like the woman how she's doing. You know, instead of just like looking at her body and making assumptions, just ask her, like, how are you feeling? How is your energy? How, you know, how are you eating? Like, do you have a good appetite? Do you not? What do you feel like you need support in? I think a lot of us, we just expect people to tell us what to do. But when someone asks us, like, what do you feel like you need right now? A lot of times you're like, huh, what do I need? And a lot of women can tell you. They might not be able to tell you the first time you ask them. But if you can literally just say, what do you feel like you need right now? They might be able to tell you. And I think that's really powerful too. And it seems, I feel like as a coach, you'll, you sometimes feel like that's a cop out. Well, I'm not doing my job, right? I'm not giving them insight, but you actually are giving them a ton of insight by having them trust themselves and having them actually listen to their body. And then it gives you insight too of like, 
you know, I saw so-and-so walk in today and I thought she needed more hydration. Turns out, no, she actually like needs a rest day or she needs, she needs to be pushed a little bit harder because she feels like she's got more energy. I mean, we don't know until we ask. So I think also just having that conversation and not making assumptions based on the fact that they're pregnant. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, and then your number one piece of advice for pregnant and postpartum athletes during this, during these seasons. Ooh, I think what I, I need to hear, right. Cause we usually, <laughs> usually need to hear something ourselves. Um, I don't know how to phrase this, but I think it's okay to go slower than you think you need to go from all perspectives, like from getting back to how you're feeding yourselves, to how you're moving, to how you're sleeping, all of that. It's okay to go slow. And I think as an athlete, that's really hard to hear. It's really hard to do. And I look back at my postpartum journey and I thought I was going slow and I wish I went slower. I wish I slowed down more. I wish that I, I have similar thoughts. I'm like, I wish I I spent more time on the food part and more time on the rest part and less time on worrying about whether he was sleeping enough or whether I was moving enough or, you know, whether I was getting back to where I was before a baby. So I think it's like, it's okay to go slower than you think you need to. And honestly, going slow now will allow you to go faster later. And I say this all the time to my clients, sometimes you need to do less now so you can do more later which is so hard for most of us to hear and do believe me. I'm also in that camp of it's hard. <laughs> oh, I hundred percent agree. It's like one of the, the themes of this brand is like it's intention now for the intensity later and mm. just, it will happen. It will happen. But being able to really like honor that intention, that's a, that's a whole other, uh, that's a whole other game. So hard. Working on it. <laughs> We're all working on it. We are all working on it. Oh my gosh. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on. This was very insightful. I know that everyone listening is going to, is, has already gained so much insight from this and just really appreciate you sharing your expertise. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And then where can people find you? Uh, at the sassydietitian.com or on social media as the sassy dietitian. You can follow me for my real motherhood journey too, because it is not as uh, pretty as you will see on uh, other influencer pages. Same, same, same. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health 
and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you. And please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Thank you.